0: Today I'm speaking with Satya Doyle Bayak, a union psychotherapist in Portland, Oregon, and the founding director of the Salome Institute of Union Studies, where she teaches and hosts other speakers online. She is the co-host of the podcast on Carl Jung's Red Book and a Writer her book quarter life the search for self in early adulthood came out this summer and when i read it I'm pretty sure in two days, I felt like it gave me the language to talk about the enormous quarter-life shift that I've been going through, which we'll dig into in this episode. So Satya, welcome to the Morning Person
1: podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here with you.
0: I'm so excited to have you because truly when I say I read your book in two days, I think it came out on a Tuesday. I had been reading advanced press about it. I bought it. I had read it definitely by Thursday. It just so immediately resonated with everything that I've been going through recently. And we met for lunch last week and just sort of very quickly dug into things. But before we get into all of that, I was wondering if you could just explain to our listeners, who do you consider within this sort of quarter lifers age range?
1: I define quarter life as being between adolescence and midlife. It's the first stage of adulthood, the first part of adulthood. And roughly that means it's around ages 20 to 40. Sometimes I say 16 to 36, you know, I think um, people can certainly find themselves in quarter life in their late teens, depending on the demographic and other folks won't feel like they're there really until they're in their mid twenties, you know. So there's a range, but that's the that's the, the rough estimate.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm smack dab in the middle of it. And one of the things that you write about is you sort of describe people, especially within the quarter life phase, as falling into one of two categories, the stability type and this meaning making type.
1: Yes, it's, a, it's a, another broad category. Okay, so stability mm-hmm. types and meaning types are these two ways that I, over many years of research and working with clients and trying to understand. And this time of life, I saw these patterns throughout history, throughout storytelling, and certainly in modern culture. Stability types are quarter lifers who tend to be doing their best to do more or less what society expects of them in any given era. Uh, So stability types tend to feel more like what we would call box checkers, or, um, you know, there's a sense of a clear progression of the way forward in their life. And there's a lot more to say about them, but they just sort of seem more, quote unquote, normal, have their, you know, their shit together. There's a lot of ways to talk mm-hmm. about stability types uh, and meaning types are the other side of this spectrum. Right. And people can find themselves anywhere in the spectrum. I will say at the outset, the goal is to ultimately have both stability and meaning for all of us. We all want a sense of safety and comfort and consistency and security in our lives. And we also tend to want a sense of purpose and meaning and um, and, and really a clear sense of our own inner values. So meaning types on the other side of the spectrum are people who are just more aligned with the other goal uh, more than security and stability. Meaning types might be more the artists, the creative types, the spiritual seekers. They're people who roll their eyes at normality and normalcy. They think st- they think that stability types are sellouts, you know, and we can kind of imagine different people in our lives who might fall into these categories. I could go on and on, but I'll pause there. Uh, keep it rolling. I, mean,
0: I think that you... Truly just summarize within one minute or however long that was exactly what this sort of quarter life crisis is that I'm going through right now. Where, and that's why when I read your book, it was like, oh my God, you know, anyone who's been reading my newsletter for long enough, I think, can pretty clearly decide that I'm a stability type. I have followed everything to an absolute T and we talked about this at lunch where and I wrote about this on morning person where I feel like you know I did everything that I felt like I should I went to the best college that I got into I you know met my husband to be in college I got the best job that I could I moved to these big cities I bought a house I adopted a dog and I was just sort of like check 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 And then when I got to the list, because really like dog, career, house, marriage were at that bottom of the list for me, all of a sudden I went, oh my God, who am I? What am I doing? And that was when I sort of felt like there was this maybe lack of meaning in my life. And to add to that, I started going to counseling school to get my master's in professional mental health counseling. And all of a sudden I was in this school where I was the stability type in this sea of meaning types who had gone on these completely different reandering journeys. And I was, I think, the youngest person in my class who's married. And they were all sort of looking at me like, who is this person pretending to be a grown-up? It threw my life in flux.
1: Oh, I'm so sympathetic. I mean, I, you know, gosh, there's so many ways that we could take this conversation already. But, you know, the first <laughs> thing that it just strikes me is, and I say this in the book, that, that stability types, once they hit, crisis, start mm-hmm. to look more like meaning types because they are experiencing sort of what was extreme order, you know, consistency, mm-hmm. performance, a good, a good face to show the world, right? Mm-hmm. That starts to look more and more chaotic to their loved ones because suddenly they're they're And I could feel you doing this, right? You're suddenly, uh, kind of walking to the beat of your own drum, right? And, mm-hmm. and maybe this is like a drum beat you hadn't even really heard before. Yes. How do you not listen to that clear mm-hmm. rhythm happening inside of you and, and try to learn, well, I need to learn this dance. I need to learn this rhythm. That looks crazy to people around you who, who can't mm-hmm. hear it, you know? Mm-hmm. One, and it's who- so
0: interesting that you even say the beat of your own drum because there was this moment where, so I sort of um, realized all of this really at the beginning of this year where I felt like, okay, there were these feelings that were kind of bubbling to the surface. And all of a sudden this summer, I just felt like I need to go figure out who I am. I you know, spoke to my husband, Jonah, and I said, I need to go stay in an Airbnb for a month. I've never lived alone by myself. And one of the first things that I journaled when I was there was I was out on a walk and I just remember the phrase, I need to find my own rhythm. I just had this moment of like, I've never known what my own rhythm is. And I need to figure that out. Oof. I have chills. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the other thing that was so interesting and we're, you know, we're sort of ignoring poor meaning making types, but we'll probably come all the way back around because that's sort of now where I'm finding this balance and I feel like I'm Doing all these things that would be considered more of a meaning making type. One of the interesting things that you write about in your book is that there are these four pillars of quarter life development for finding balance between these two sides of these stability types and these meaning making types. And I was almost following these pillars without even ever knowing that you had written these pillars. And the first one is separation. And obviously, that happened to me where I physically separated myself from my husband, from my house largely from a lot of the different ways that I lived my life. And I went and I lived in this Airbnb for a month and then ultimately ended up moving into my studio apartment. Um, But I was wondering if you could sort of walk me through these four pillars and we can talk about how I felt like I naturally moved through them.
1: Definitely. So as you say, the the first pillar of growth, I call them the the pillars of growth in in quarter life. Mm -hmm. But this is true for, for adulthood in general. The first is to separate. And even though I don't see these as linear per se, you know, it's very frequently the case that when we start feeling rumblings, like, wait, something is amiss, you know, I'm I'm mm-hmm. too mature for my parents' household now, I have to get out, or I can't stand this anymore, or there's something that I can't quite name in my relationship and I need to shift things, right? We, yes, we follow- I described it in my... First conversations
0: with Jonah, I kept telling him I'm in emotional turmoil,
1: mm-hmm. and I couldn't
0: figure out what that was. But I just kept saying I'm in turmoil. So this description of rumblings is something yeah, it, that I
1: feel like again, I understand. It, it can look so weird and confusing to the people around us when there's a when there's this rhythm or this rumbling or this turmoil that nobody else mm-hmm. can see or feel or touch or smell or name. Right. So that's so common. We we need to separate and. This may start with going to college. It may start with getting married straight out of one's family of origin. I mean, it, it's different for different cultures and eras and certainly different with gender roles. Uh, but very much, I mean, I think the way you put it and in, in really clearly kind of needing to leave Your marriage, at least for a time, you know, what you Mm -hmm. were doing was I need to get my own space, I need to separate and I need to start differentiating myself, I need to start clarifying who am I, you know, as separate from Mm -hmm. this partnership or who am I as separate from my parents and, you know, it shows up in a lot of ways or as separate from my church, etc., so that's mm-hmm. the first pillar to separate, uh, and I'll just name the rest. You know, the the second pillar is to listen. The third is mm-hmm. to build, and and the fourth is to integrate. It's the integration of all of this work. Uh, and I'll say briefly, listening is about more of the yin, kind of more of the feminine work of the receptivity. And I use feminine and masculine here very loosely, but but we're familiar with these different terms. Um, mm-hmm. But more of the receptive work of listening to ourselves. What do our bodies want Mm -hmm. and need? What are our dreams saying? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how does synchronicity show up? Just really allowing and inviting more attunement to our Mm -hmm. own lives to find our own paths. And Mm -hmm. building is, is, in a certain respect, it's the opposite. It's the hard labor. It's the discipline. It's the effort. It's the willpower. It's the kind of getting back on the horse when you fall off versus tending your wounds. And there's a time for mm-hmm. both of those things, right? So this is then about integrating these different sides of the work and, and this different mm-hmm. work to create ourselves.
0: And it's so interesting, especially that you put listen after separate, because that was exactly my experience. And I feel like I kept feeling frustrated with myself. I knew that I was causing an enormous amount of pain to my husband. And I felt like, why can't I figure this out within my marriage and within our home and I just knew that I couldn't and so many things did not become clear to me until I separated and that was the point at which I was able to listen and you sort of putting out the I know that you know of course it's not linear and I feel like I'm constantly going back in between separate listen and remind me of the next one build
1: well I'm, yeah. I'm know it soon.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh I mean Yeah. And I think that that's sort of where I am now, where it's like, okay, I have done this work of separating, which was really, really hard and continues to be really, really hard. And now I'm finally at this point where I'm like, okay, I think that I know what my own voice sounds like. But one of the questions that I had for you within Listen that I really struggled with was I felt like because I had spent my whole life listening to the shoulds, which isn't to say that I wasn't happy, but maybe not fulfilled in the sense of meaning making... I had a hard time trusting myself. Like I kept feeling like these are the thoughts that I'm having now. And this is what I'm journaling. And I feel that it is so important for me to move into this studio apartment and to go into this direction. But I felt like I couldn't trust myself after not listening to myself for so long. And how do you address that with your clients or how have you sort of conceptualized that problem?
1: Well, it's a very common problem and I love the way you name it. I I think it takes time. You know, it takes mm-hmm. time to sort of switch allegiance, right? And and I I talk about how there's a character in the book named Connor, and we speak mm-hmm. very directly about his struggle to listen both to his parents and to himself, and uh, and and adhere to their goals for him, and kind of try to simultaneously adhere to his own goals. Doing that drives you insane. Right. I say you mm-hmm. can't you can't obey two masters at the same time without feeling split mm-hmm. apart. Right. And mm-hmm. so it takes time and and the practice of trusting yourself uh, after an entire lifetime of trusting others or deferring to others judgment or deferring to others perception of you. It takes years. I mean, I'm sorry. To say, because, because, yeah, it, it takes years, and it doesn't mean that it, yeah. takes, it doesn't mean that that it doesn't mean that progress is not being made every day or every hour, mm-hmm. right? But I think increasingly, it's like building any muscle or carefully mm-hmm. learning a language is over time it mm-hmm. gets easier and easier and and the difficulty the struggle the overthinking gets less and less
0: totally and i am someone who i am so receptive of people's opinions to a fault where I'll have a conversation with one person say, yes, exactly. I agree with you completely. And then I'll turn over here and have the opposite conversation go, oh, spot on. That's exactly right. And it's this muscle building of being able to hear both of those things. And to, especially with what I'm going through, people have been giving me advice left and right, and I've been asking for it, but it is often the opposite advice. Yeah, And so it's like, how do you take in all of this and how do you, um, you know, in the same way that Connor did where he's hearing his parents, he's hearing his basketball coach. There are all these different people who are talking to him in his life. And it's like, how do I distill this information into what I want? And it, I think it can be especially difficult. And now I'm just talking about my experience more where so much of what I'm doing is directly against societal norms. Like it, you know, Separating from a marriage is seen as very disrespectful to the person who I decide to marry. Like, I'm not respecting our vows. And being alone, choosing to be alone right now, is something that goes completely against what we're told to find a partner. And I appreciated what you said earlier about this isn't necessarily a separation for the long term because I still don't know what's going to happen within my marriage or how my marriage will be folded into this, or if there will continue to be a separation, but it's hard. It's
1: hard to hear yourself at the end of the day. No, Mm -hmm. again, you have all my sympathy in the world because we are taught that life in adulthood is about the checking of boxes or the following of a path and the social Mm -hmm. norm. And it turns out for everyone at some point, that's not true, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that some of that won't be inevitably woven in but we have to find our own way if 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 life were just about the factory you know the churning out of of clones be a good adult in this way this way this way um we would not be on the journey we're on we would not be on the mm-hmm. religious philosophical existential journey that we are each on mm-hmm. whether we like it or not right So Mm -hmm. you are finding your own path. And one thing I speak about in the book is how the more that I researched this time of life, the more that I saw the feminist awakenings in Simone de Beauvoir's work, in, um, you know, in Betty Friedan's work, but all the way back, you see people really, the the women struggling with these roles. And this is true for the LGBTQ community, for Black Americans, for um, so many people in history who have not organically found themselves comfortable in the social norms. There's the pushback and the wrestling and the mm-hmm. what's wrong with me? Like, why can't you be happy? Right? So Betty Friedan's book, The Feminine Mystique, opens up with uh, with this feeling of, like, I've got all of the pieces that I should want. You know, what's wrong mm-hmm. with me? She asks, is this all? And that just mm-hmm. feels like such a quarter-life question when this comes. Is this all? Yes. Yeah.
0: And I've been, since reading your book and since going through what I've been going through, I've seen this so many different times. I mean, we were talking about Elizabeth Gilbert and Eat, Pray, Love. I returned to it because I remembered this chapter at the very beginning where she's sitting on the floor of her bathroom and she has a line in there that's something along the lines of haven't I participated in every single part of building this house? Didn't I pick the tiles in the bathroom in the kitchen that we just remodeled? And yet, why do I find myself not wanting any part of this? Yeah. And there is this theme where I think, you know, obviously, this is not something that is unique to one gender, but I am as a woman, like I feel myself attracted to these stories of other women who have gone through this. And right now I'm actually in the midst of reading um, Sylvia Plath's journals. And it's Mm. so interesting because I'm reading about right now, she's still at Smith and she's talking about just not quite fitting in with other people and how she has always tried to find stability within her life. But You know, she is this sort of meaning making type and you, I can feel the push pull in her words, you know, and that was in the 1950s. So it's just this timeless no,
1: it's, it's, theme. It's timeless. I mean, it's it, timeless mm-hmm. was almost in the subtitle of the book The mm-hmm. I wanted it to be the timeless search for stability and meaning because it's timeless. We've all mm-hmm. been doing this in this time of life across culture, mm-hmm. across time. And Sylvia Plath mm-hmm. is a beautiful and exceedingly tragic example. I mm-hmm. have so much empathy for her and really real feel a kinship with her. Um, mm-hmm. And, and gosh, feel like the tragedy of her life could have been avoided with some different understanding of what this time of life could be for women, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm. not all women need to have children. Not all women need to get married. That some women Mm -hmm. want to be writing alone in a room, right? Uh, I think of Virginia Woolf in that with Mm -hmm. a lot of mirroring. So certainly...
0: yeah. And even Sylvia talks about reading Virginia Woolf's journals and saying oh my gosh, I'm seeing this person who is going through the same thing I was so it's, you know, she's so, making these connections about yeah. these writers and these women who have come before her even. Yeah. but
1: Yeah. And yet well, the expectation mm-hmm. to develop stability in such a specific way may still have driven her mad.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so I wanted to talk about also this idea of building. So once you have separated, you've listened, these easy peasy things, what does building look like? Because I feel like that's where I am right now. You know, I'm sort of in the midst of making these huge decisions where I'm currently in the middle of my second year of earning my master's in counseling. And I'm even trying to figure out do I continue? Do I take a year off next year or do I continue for the next few semesters? Do I use this time to just keep listening or do I keep going forward? And if I do, what does that look like and what am I building? So I was wondering if you could speak to that pillar a little bit.
1: Definitely. I, you know, There's, there's a bit of a confusing twist here, which I will lay out uh, as we get started. When I work with stability type clients who are in crisis... And I would say like you are, I imagine the yes. field something like a crisis. Um, it certainly does. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the goal of building, ironically, is to start with deconstructing. I wish we had the word debuilding, but it's deconstructing mm-hmm. the life that you have, which
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, it's, it's like, well, first you've identified this isn't working and you're separating and that work is going to continue. But it's also like slowly going through your things and saying, this isn't me anymore. Get rid of this. This isn't me anymore. Get rid of this. This isn't me. So the deconstructing starts with, with really like turning a huge barge in a different direction before you can start mm-hmm. even clarifying where am I headed? You have to really know this isn't it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. this direction mm-hmm. isn't it. I'm not even totally sure where I want to go, but I know this isn't it. So I talk in the book again, with different characters about, you know, quitting a job, you know, is not, it even if you don't fully understand what is next, right? So I hear you doing that in a variety of ways, and and I'm interested in your master's program as being a bridge. It's sort of like, does this master's program fit in with the stability type goals? Does it fit in with the meaning type goals? Is it somewhere mm-hmm. in between? Was it a substitute for what you really want to be doing? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious how that shows up and is it then right for the future or is it to be discarded? Totally.
0: I mean, and those are all the things that I'm figuring out right now. Like, I don't know if I think of my master's program as this sort of catalyst that helped me to see all of these things once I was in this completely different world. I mean, I had spent my entire career in this world of food writing and lifestyle journalism. And all of a sudden I was in this universe of um, working with people who have had substance issues, who have had extremely different life paths than the ones that I have had. I don't know. you know. So now I'm still trying to figure out, is this a path that I want to go on? Or is this something that just helped me to understand where I am now? And it's interesting that you mentioned this idea of knowing what something isn't or knowing that something isn't right for you. Because I had a conversation with a family friend right at the beginning of when I was going through everything. And I kind of kept talking about my intuition and I was like, you know, my intuition just tells me that I need this and this. And she stopped me. And she said, Leslie, your intuition can never tell you what to do. It can only tell you what not to do.
1: Well, that does not resonate as true to me. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. pausing here. I made a face, you know, I'm pausing, trying to make sense of what that person mm-hmm. is saying. I don't think that's true, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, do you think that's true. I don't know. I'm, and this is, this goes back to me saying, I listen to someone, I go, great, you have the path. And, you know, I'm trying to understand what's right for me and what I don't agree with, but I don't know. Tell me, see,
1: yeah, I'm already so curious in what you have to say. My experience with graduate school, let's say, like just yes. to start, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, I learned about the very short stories I learned about this graduate school in which I could study Jungian psychology, right? The psychology Mm -hmm. of Carl Jung, which which at the time and kind of still, right? But at the time it was like, the only thing I wanted to study was Jungian psychology. There was Mm -hmm. a master's in counseling psychology. I found it. My whole body lit up like the, you know, the, the gates to heaven opened up all this clarity of insight and instinct. And even then, it's like, people didn't really understand what I was doing. People thought I was manic. Like, it was happening so quickly. And I found myself in graduate school basically within three months because... But I went from applying to starting school very, very quickly. And there's Mm -hmm. no question that was the right decision for me. And that Mm -hmm. instinct felt like a a well-lit journey towards graduate school. That was instinct and intuition for me. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. I can't even fully defend this to anyone. I can't even fully explain this but I finally feel like I know where I'm headed. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that shows up for me as I'm trying to process what your family friend said to you. Let me give one more example as we're mm-hmm. processing this together. I have an easier time knowing that there are foods I don't want. If people ask me, do you want this for dinner or this for dinner? I, I have an easier time saying no than coming up with what I actually want to eat. You know, mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just sort of typologically the way I work. I have a hard time mm-hmm intuiting the food I want unless I'm really given a lot of options or something. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's easier for me to sort of say no, right? Mm -hmm. But I just don't think as a rule, intuition does not point us towards things and get really clear about things. That's Mm -hmm. my counter argument.
0: Yeah. And I think this is so tricky for me because I see so many scenarios in which I could be happy and be making meaning. And I know that I need a major shakeup in my life. And there are things that I still love to do. I love to write. I love to write about my life. I love to write novels. I'm very, very interested in that. But at the same time, I'm looking at the future and I'm also a compulsive planner. And so I'm thinking about the build stage in terms of do I stay in my apartment and continue being separated from Jonah and go on this path of graduate school and see where it leads me? Or do I shake up my life completely in an entirely different way where, you know, Jonah and I are together and I go like we go travel the world together. And that's the major shakeup. I just know that it can't be in some sort of Yeah.
1: In this moment, which of those lives feels better to you?
0: I have no idea. And let me tell you, there are moments of clarity where I feel 110% about one or the other and within a breath, it will go the other direction.
1: I I really hear that. And I think we call, you know, this is what's called a liminal stage. It's an Mm in-between stage. And I will say, I think the most important thing about being in a liminal stage is you release to being in-between Mm-hmm. because if you try to grasp on to one thing or the other it's like you're um giving birth to a premature baby like the baby is still gestating yeah. your your clarity yeah. about the future is still gestating and if you try to give birth to that because you because your stability self which you're you know you want to plan you mm-hmm. want to know you want to be able to tell people i got to figure it figured out sorry for that weird thing that i just did i now know what i'm doing uh, mm-hmm. I, pr- I promise you, and I'm sorry to deliver this difficult news. Uh, th- if you try to tidy this up, mm-hmm. you will end up looking crazier the next time. <laughs> because yeah. you can't tidy it up. You just are in between and you don't know. And the most beautiful mm-hmm. thing, and I think the most beautiful modeling that you're doing right now is, I actually don't know. I All mm-hmm. I know is I need to find my own rhythm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's so beautiful.
0: It is. And I think the trickier thing is when, you know, A, there are other people involved where I want to be able to give my partner the freedom to to move on and to recover or to hold on. But I think, you know, this liminal space, he didn't choose this liminal space. So I don't want to keep him in this. And then at the same time, there are these actual deadlines for school where it's like, am I paying for next semester or not? And so I think that's the pressure that I feel. As beautiful as it is to sit in this liminal space and as much as I want to and feel that I need to, it, it, you know, I don't know if I can. It's
1: also (laughs) hell. It yeah. is, yeah. I I think to be in a lim- liminal space, to be in this in between, is is both is both extraordinarily freeing and also torture. Totally. Um, and yeah. I will also say, you didn't choose this either. I mean, I hear that Jonah didn't mm-hmm. choose this, and he feels. I mean, I can't, I won't say what he feels. I can imagine, right? But that you also didn't choose this, and you're just doing mm-hmm. your best to listen and to participate and to not start drinking to numb the f- feelings mm-hmm. or yeah. to. <laughs> right or to have an affair to sort of mm-hmm. try things mm-hmm. out with somebody else i think you're doing this in an extraordinarily responsible way by saying mm-hmm. something's up and i have to listen to that that is i honestly think that is the greatest expression of courage in the world far more courageous than going to battle or it is stunningly courageous and and i think you need to really honor that for yourself you know this is the kind of courage that very few people express to say whoa, something's inside of me that I can't name or, or see, or I have no ability to even explain it. And I have to listen to it just the same.
0: Mm. Thank you for saying that. And, you know, I think that one of the reasons that I feel so passionately about talking about this and literally broadcasting what I'm going through is because I know that it is so hard to go through these. And so many people feel so isolated when they're going through these things. So when I wrote the first newsletter, I literally wrote it at 10 PM when I decided to tell my readership what I'm going through. And I was I mean, the newsletter went live like six hours later, and I was literally sitting in my bed, crying, writing it. Nobody had time to read it before it went out. I sent it to Jonah just to get his okay, because everything that I've written about um, that has involved him, I've sent to him first, just as a matter of respect to him. But outside of that, nobody read it. So it was just sort of like, this is my raw emotion, and now it is out in the world. And I received hundreds, hundreds of emails from people who said, Either I went through this exact same thing and like, this is what helped me or I've been in this space and I haven't felt like I can talk to anybody about it because people aren't really talking about these things. And I think it can feel so isolating. And that's part of the thing that I've been felt very lucky in that I have this absolute foundation of family and friends that have made what could be. Be this incredibly scary experience that requires all this courage, something that hasn't felt as scary as it could because yeah. of this base of community that, you know, might not directly understand what I'm going through, but at least is saying, We're here for you. We don't get it exactly. But we will support you.
1: Which is so beautiful and such a testament, I think, to the way you live with integrity and love and the way that Jonah is living with integrity and love. There's no abuse or toxicity or betrayal that I hear. There's there's confusion, mm-hmm. you no, know, and there's and there's, there's a lot of compassion and love, yeah, which is extraordinary. I mean, it's an extraordinary model for what what we all could be doing with each other and in relationship. Frankly, if mm-hmm. we took the inner life seriously and and understood that sometimes the soul bangs on our door and says, "This is not it. This isn't it." You know, Mm -hmm. and it may be, you may, people go to medical school, right? And they, they get, they go all the way through that work. They become doctors and then Mm. they're like, oh, I don't want this. Right. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. pivot. They do something else. I mean, it happens in so many different ways. Yeah. And that's what I would also love
0: to hear more about, because obviously we've spent so much of this time talking about my experience, because I do think that it's helpful to sort of ground this and to understand sort of the brilliant pillars in the way of understanding this. It just, it so helped provide language to what I'm going through. But there are so many different ways that a quarter-life crisis can appear. And I think a big way is what you just mentioned, career. Um, but what are some of the other things that you have seen, even among your clients or people you've talked to?
1: It's everything. I don't mean to be nonspecific, but I think what's mm-hmm. so beautiful to me about this time of life and the reason that I love working with people in this time of life is this just exquisite specificity of how it shows up for people, you know, so Mm -hmm. it may be that uh, somebody, I mean, for you, it's this sort of naming, I need to live alone, or I need to find my own rhythm. It it feels like a separation from the life you had. For other people, it may be everything looks and seems fine. But, you know, there is a very deep sense that they're supposed to go to Ecuador. And they have no idea Mm. why. And they keep telling themselves how stupid it is. Like, why do you need to go to Ecuador? Well, you know, I I had a great grandparent from Ecuador and, you know, on and on and on. And, And yet, very often, this isn't just Hollywood, once they finally go, endless synchronicity unfolds and they can't believe that they ever shamed themselves for not going. Like, it's this beautiful expression of their specific life that they finally listened to this soul calling. You know, Mm -hmm. I could go on and on with the examples, but for me... The beauty is when there is this rumbling inside of us, we each know what it's saying to us. Nobody else can hear the voice, Mm -hmm. but we know what that voice is saying. And for me, I mean, this is going as far out on the branch as I can in a way. But what I feel so deeply in my gut about this is that when we are talking about social justice, this is the root of any social justice is to listen when your soul is talking to you. Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. muffling it, binding it, squashing it, hiding it behind a door, you know, keeping it captive. When the soul is talking, if we listen, extraordinarily beautiful things happen. It doesn't mean that painful shit doesn't happen first, but life becomes magic. Mm -hmm. And it's not just Hollywood or storytelling or, and it's not just for people with a great deal of privilege. I will also say, I mean, there's no question that that money and white skin and able-bodied lives and hetero mm-hmm. lives, although it depends on what city you're living in, on and on, whatever, all these different privileges that, that offer up structure and stability, it can be easier in a certain respect for folks. But it still requires deconstructing these toxic values that tell us to live like everybody else lives.
0: I'm so happy that you mentioned the privilege because it was really a disservice for me to not mention that, that the reason that I've been able to even go on this path at all has been because I have an independent financial stability from my husband. Mm -hmm. And I've become so acutely aware through this whole process and through emails that I've received of how rare that can be, how somebody can feel this feeling and they're in a situation where they can't afford to separate, or they're just not able to for, you know, myriad
1: reasons. No, it's, it's, and this yeah. again, where, where all of this lines up with social justice, I mean, we could say specifically feminism in this moment, but it makes my stomach churned, the The number of people who are trapped in literal physical mm-hmm. situations they can't get out of. Uh, mm-hmm. And I really feel a direct correlation to, to folks who can leave and won't because Mm -hmm. they don't trust themselves. There is this sort of silencing of the inner feminine Mm -hmm. that I think has to stop. Right. And so it's so hard to parse this stuff apart of, of, and I try to do this in the book, although, you know, it's very tricky, but I, I talk about an extraordinary writer who I love, Richard Wright, who was a Black man growing up in the Jim Crow era in the South and and in extreme poverty. All he wanted to do was write and he was just desperate mm-hmm. to write. I think of Octavia Butler as another example mm-hmm. of um, a woman living in circumstances where nobody read to her. She didn't have books to read, you know, let alone notebooks to write in. And she found a way to write, it's, it's not just about perseverance, but it's about trust that you're not crazy, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what this kind of comes down to is some, like what you're sharing with people and what we're trying to talk about, I think is, is some permission to say, no matter what circumstances you're in, you're not crazy. Something Mm -hmm. is happening inside of you that needs to be heard and respected. Mm.
0: I just want to sit in that. I just think that, that even that phrase of you're not crazy is so powerful and something that people need to be reminded of. Anything that goes against the norm can feel crazy. And so just
1: that it makes crazy. me feel emotional. Yeah, yeah. Um, Even yeah. You Especially say because, that. because it's invisible, you know, like, again, yes. we live in a world yes. that wants the tangible. We want the proof. Everything yes. is most, you know, all of mental health now has been taken over by you know, quote unquote, evidence, evidence evidence-based practice, but that Mm -hmm. just means replicable practice. And we can't Mm -hmm. replicate this kind of stuff. You can't prove that this inner rumbling is trying to actually say something real. There's no way to prove it. You just have to live it out.
0: Completely. And that is where I feel crazy, where I feel like, okay, here's this feeling, this emotion, but it's, It's completely in my mind and it's totally intangible, especially compared to over here, you know, there's a house, there's far more financial stability. There's a partnership with somebody who I do deeply love and care about. There's all of these friends and this family that's built into this system and this life that I've spent the last decade building. And so it's like, do you just leap from that into the great unknown? And I think right now I'm at a place currently where I'm sort of know, I think my pendulum swung all the way where I just felt like I need to separate big time from everything. Like I need to just explode out and figure out how I can listen to myself. And I'm I'm coming to this more balanced state where I'm sort of recognizing, okay, I don't have to explode everything to be able to still have the separation that I need, to still have, you know, the ability to listen to myself and this is all as I keep saying to my friends and to my partner, I am live reporting on the
1: scene every single yeah. day where my emotions are and what I'm figuring out. But it was such a beautiful place to be, right? To really say, I don't know. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. one thing that I encourage clients and I mean, everyone to be able to say when you don't know to say, I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. You know, like, well, why are you doing this? I literally don't even know yet. I just, <laughs> I just know <laughs> What was happening was making me twitch. What was happening was Mm -hmm. making me feel queasy. What was happening was making me, you know, just feel crazy. And so all I know right now, and maybe this comes back to your family bread, right? But all I know right now is not that. And feeling comfortable
0: enough to say that to people, because I've been having so many conversations with people, particularly, you know, my partner's family where they want answers. And of course I understand that. And I've had so many conversations where I've tried to give answers. And, you know, a few days later, I'll be like, oh, that's totally not how I feel now, because I just feel like this shape shifter that I'm still in this very vulnerable Play-Doh-y form, just trying to figure out everything. And it's like, I've become way more comfortable just saying to people, "I don't know. I'm figuring this out. I don't want to be going through this either, but this is happening. It's exhausting and exhilarating,
1: and I don't know what I'm doing. So, yeah, which again takes courage. I mean, I, I think to really just honor that in between state, it takes courage because we really have so little modeling for that. Mm-hmm. So i figuring mm-hmm. it out. I wish, I wish I could stop this. I wish I could go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, you know, I, I wish we had more stories about what this is. And, and I will say again, and maybe this is, I don't know if this is an awkward thing to say, but I think straight people have fewer stories of this than queer people do. It's almost mm-hmm. like, you know, in the queer community, not being sure what is going on or that you don't quite fit in. There's a clear narrative of where that ends up. Well, maybe, maybe Mm -hmm. you're gay and and you're living in a straight world. Mm -hmm. I think there's a real metaphor, you know, for other people about what that Mm -hmm. experience is, um, Mm -hmm. that we just still don't have clear language for that, that you could feel differently internally than your peers and not be able to name it yet or not be able to explain it yet. We just need better story t- storytelling around that and more mythology and more metaphors to say this, this, all I know right now, like you say, with Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, there's there's at mm-hmm. least one other story out there that correlates to me. Yes.
0: That I built and all she this. was 31 when she wrote that, you know, and I learned that and went,
1: oh my God. Yeah, it's so powerful.
0: Satya, I think that your book does so much to help people understand these stories. I mean, I can only speak to how much it helped me, but as soon as, I mean, I literally, I sent this book actually to my partner because I felt like here's a language that we can both speak about what I'm going through and I want you to be able to speak it too. So we've both read this book, you know, so it's been helpful not only for me, but for the people in my lives who are completely impacted by you know, the shrapnel of my explosion. Mm -hmm. Um, Well,
1: I'm, I am honored. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, a better review really that it's been so useful to you and your partner. Thank you so much for reading it and for sharing it.
0: And thank you for coming on to talk about it and to, you know, continue to share um, with a broader audience. And I just, I hope that this resonates at some level with mine. I think that it will. I, you know, I have a feeling that there are a lot of stability types listening to this as a you're
1: not alone you're not crazy <laughs> you're not Real. alone yeah i see you and your lists yeah um, well... <laughs> thank you okay, thank sweet. you so sweet thanks for having me thank you, me. you.